The Blockhash Podcast is also brought to you by Viva Digital. Viva Digital has a team of experts that can solve the technological problems of your computer. They can also offer the best advice to carry out those computer projects that you have planned. They are located in beautiful Medellin, Colombia in Monterey Mall. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at vivadigital.com.co and don't miss any promotion. The Blockash Podcast is also brought to you by the Liberland Aid Foundation. The Liberland Aid Foundation is the humanitarian arm of the Free Republic of Liberland, whose philosophies of freedom, volunteerism, and charity communicate to the international community the compassion that Liberland has for the world. The Liberland Aid Foundation is a U.S.-registered 501c3. All donations made are tax-deductible. To learn more, go visit liberlandfoundation.org. All of the awesome audio and beats on the Blockhouse podcast are brought to you by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music. So go check out It's Tiger on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, November 11th. This week, I have Alan Amling and Loudon Owen together from DLT Labs to talk about everything from Walmart Canada to supply chain to blockchain as a tool and a number of other fascinating topics. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode and be sure to follow what DLT Labs is doing in the real world. Anyways, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about DLT Labs, blockchain, supply chain, etc., etc. Anyways, enjoy. All right, Alan Loudon, how are you guys today? Doing great. Great. Thank you very much. Awesome. It's awesome having you guys on the podcast. Thank you guys for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, so for my audience, for the people that may or may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Fire away, Alan. You're the important one here. Oh, geez. Okay. So, um, hey, my name is uh, Alan Amling. It's it's great to be with all of you today. Um, I My background, uh, 27 years at UPS, um, variety of marketing strategy, uh, venture capital type roles, um, and uh, took early retirement uh, last year, finished my PhD, and now teaching and researching at the University of Tennessee uh, Supply Chain Institute and having a uh, fantastic time with my act too, um, playing around with uh, all the change going on in supply chain right now. Awesome. Great. And my name is uh, Loudon Owen, and I've been building technology companies for the last 25 years, starting out as a operator, moving into venture capital, and now back in my comfort zone, which is operating. And I'm the CEO of DLT Labs, chair and CEO of DLT. Awesome. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're here for is DLT Labs. So what, what is DLT Labs or like, what's the mission behind it? DLT was formed um, with a, a very sort of hardcore technology orientation. And the belief is that uh, distributed ledger technology or more colloquially blockchain um, has a great deal to offer the world. However, for industrial usage, um, it 
there's nothing ready for prime time. There are no standards and there's no ability to rapidly develop applications on a consistent basis. So our um, reason for existence is we have built a platform that enables rapid application development, no application, no returns. You have to actually do something with the core technology. And we're bridging the gap between the theory of blockchain and its use and implementation, which is what we've done and hopefully we'll talk about it. So we're here to unlock the power of blockchain. What problem is it specifically that you're addressing? Is it the latency issues, the supply chain, the scalability? Like what aspect um, are you guys solving? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. And then Alan can certainly address it in any way um, you know he sees fit. Um, so from a DLT side, what we realized is um, most of our tech group came from electrical engineers. And you know, there's an orientation to standards and standardization and being able to replicate and scale up based on something that is consistent. And um, the group kind of went down two parallel paths. One was graduation from school. I'm a little bit past that by the way, but <laughs> the tech team was graduation from school and making sure they could pay their bills, which typically meant working in the back offices and operating very, very large scale organizations, um, but back offices and typically in financial institutions, not exclusively. Um, and at the same time, blockchain kind of came to life and it came to life as, and the whole distributed computing, uh, more importantly, distributed ledger technology came to into existence and became a topic. Um, there were a host of organizations, including the, um, you know, the tech group here um, where all sorts of experiments were being done and people referred to them uh, very favorably as proof of concepts. But they, uh, proving a concept is great, um, or POCs, uh, but it's a little bit better if you can actually take it into production. And what we realized, um, you know, we can talk about latency, we can talk about scalability, but at the core, what really happened was there were a lack of, uh, a lack of standards and a lack of an ability to develop applications where it was replicable. And that's what you need for industrial grade. So, you know, there are kind of two universes. Um, there's the universe of cryptocurrency and public blockchains, which we're very, very familiar with. And, you know, we've had a great deal of exposure to it, but there's the other world, which is the world of people making things, delivering them, um, providing goods and services and keeping things flowing. And that's where we thought the biggest need was, the most immediate need. So that's a gap that I mentioned before that we're bridging. So what was needed um, was a, a, an entire platform for very quickly and on a consistent basis, developing applications where you didn't have to go back to square one. And so with our platform, what people do is they configure. So as opposed to constantly developing, as opposed to constantly reinventing the wheel, and we're very fortunate because it was built on the basis uh, of being agnostic. So it doesn't matter to us which blockchain, we're not gonna get in those religious wars. It doesn't matter to us um, which infra, what databases and so on. Uh, it's the ability to very quickly, consistently develop applications, be able to rely upon them. They have to be able to backward, be backward and forward um, you know, integrated. And we work with legacy systems. So we kind of back into whatever workflow people use and um, the, the results have been pretty outstanding. 
So the goal was to make it useful and the results have been, this has been a tremendously useful platform. And I guess we can talk about that a bit later as to where and how and at what scale. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll add to that, that um, this is how Loudon and I met. So at the Global Supply Chain Institute, we have about a little over 250 member companies and a, a subset of those companies are in what we call the Advanced Supply Chain Collaborative. And we're doing projects for them, specifically looking at the intersection of supply chain and technology. And so one of the questions that came up from our member companies is, you know, what about blockchain? You know, it's, is, it, is it real? Is it just hype? You know, can, can you help us figure out, is there, is there any there there? And um, so we had a project called the, you know, what's the ROI of blockchain? And we started exploring, you know, uh, talking to different companies that are, you know, doing different pilots and, you know, Loudon, Loudon mentioned, you know, kindly called proof of concept, you know, or we called it pilot purgatory, right? Because that's kind of what, you know, most companies, they were just kind of spinning their wheels and in, in pilot after pilot. And um, I had read about, you know, this, um, this application with Walmart Canada, which Loudon's going to talk about that DLT worked on with them. And, um, and that's, that's how we uh, got together, but it was in the context of, of, I had already been talking to dozens of companies that had just been spinning their wheels. And um, it was so refreshing when I, um, when I talked to Loudon and, and um, one of the things he said that I really struck me and has stayed with me is I, I talked to him about pilots and he said, um, no, we don't do pilots. I was like, what? What do you mean you don't do pilots? He said, when we, when we engage, we engage with the intention of commercializing this, that we're, that we're going to do this. And it is, it is a subtle difference, but one that I think is, is really important for your listeners. And the reason is because when it's just a pilot, then it tends to be an IT project, right? You, the business really doesn't get involved. And, um, and right off the bat, that's just a recipe for failure. Um, because you're not going to have the input that you need and the people that, you know, the organization change that needs to happen, the people that need to buy in um, are not, you know, you need to involve them. People support what they help create. I mean, it's a rule as old as the dawn of time. And, um, and that was the uh, approach that I thought really separated DLT. Does that create extra business risk when you don't run a pilot or is that more just philosophy based? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Loudon answer okay. that one. But, but what I would say is it's, it's not that they don't do tests. It's not that they don't pilot. It's the intention. Okay. Right. You have to have buy-in to commercialize it up front or you won't get, you won't get the involvement of the business. Um, if it's just, um, 
you know, if you're just trying something out, which, you know, quite frankly, there's a, a lot of companies that are, you know, blockchain is a solution in search of a problem. Um, and, uh, and you need to have the intent to solve a real problem that's impacting your organization. And then of course, you're gonna test it before you roll it out. But when you start with the intention of rolling it out, you're gonna get the business people involved because they know that at the end of this test, they're gonna own it. So Loudon. I have a German shepherd that just came in to join us on the podcast, Brandon. Um, <laughs> and uh, very profoundly. So listen, um, you're right. Um, we have to follow all of the disciplines and practices and testing. Um, in fact, we follow more because we're we're preparing for production. And um, what I've been trying to communicate to people, and and it's funny, it it doesn't resonate with a lot of technology people, but it resonates very much with the business universe, which is um, we don't have the resources to invest in um, teaching the sort of early iterations of how to use this technology, we have resources um, where we can add a tremendous amount of value today. And there's a need, um, which is so apparent. I mean, it's so clear, it's, it's not even um, negotiable. It's sort of black and white. And so um, in, in terms of orienting ourselves and, and how to communicate that, um, the orientation has been, we will only work with organizations that are committed to production. And exactly what Alan said, that means it has to start with a business problem, not a technology problem. Um, it's maybe not fair, maybe it's not equitable in the world, but typically uh, the IT groups um, are serving at the behest of business, that's it. And you know they're in a support role and a support function, and they may be doing very interesting experiments, they may be very advanced, they may have tremendous disciplines and, and expertise, but we need to communicate directly with the business unit or units. And because the magic of using this technology is the um, inter-organization or intra-organizational sharing of data. And you know the whole problem started um, back probably in the uh, Garden of Eden, but um, organizations were built to work together. There's no point having a company and you simply sit around talking about how great you are. You never make anything. As um, the famous Steve Jobs said, real artists ship. The whole point is you, you build, develop, or provide a service or a good for other people. But information technology, its origins are very simple. It's to serve the people who pay the bills. And uh, when an organization goes out to acquire a, an IT system or different IT systems, they're looking to serve their own purposes. They're not wedded to the concept of how do we ensure that we can all exchange information. And there are a lot of efforts historically um, that have had mediocre success in trying to rectify that. And you'll see that there's a, uh, a universe of system integration. It's getting close to $500 billion a year spent on trying to tie systems together that aren't made to tie together. That's why they have to be integrated. What we do is something different. We've enabled organizations internally or with as many partners as they like to exchange information on a secure basis, secure, reliable, and all the goodies 
in terms of having the processes and calculations built in uh, to make life better, simpler, faster, cheaper, more secure, and so on. That requires the business units. So if you're doing it in isolation, uh, what you're gonna have is you're gonna have an experiment, which could be uh, instructive, but it's not actually gonna provide ROI tangible results. And what we've realized is those results are so profound um, that it's, I know people say it's a no brainer. Um, I mean, nothing is, but we think it's profoundly important and valuable. Yeah, that definitely is important to have the business aspect involved because you're going to get a lot more done that way. And it's not going to just be um, one of those black hole situations where they set up a pilot project and, you know, it may, something may come out of it, something may not come out of it, you know, and you end up wasting a lot of time and money on it and something that should have been pushed in the first place, right? Um, you know, and speaking of industrial grade applications, and I think you guys brought up Walmart Canada a little bit ago which I believe you guys launched an application for, what, what did that consist of? And is that like what you guys are aiming to do more of? Uh, sure. I, so why don't I just explain for a couple of minutes um, and I hope I won't take up the balance of the hour because I get too excited, but yeah, no like, for a couple of minutes what happened. Um, Walmart itself, it is the largest company in the world by revenue. They sit on top of the supply chain and they didn't get there by accident. They got there by being strategic and innovative and different organizations, um, you know, they carry the banner of being more innovative and less innovative, but it's a consistent theme throughout Walmart's history. Walmart Canada um, is a tremendously innovative organization, always have been. Um, it represents probably just under 5% of Walmart sales uh, on a global basis. Uh, and I happen to be based um, in Canada. Um, but we have a, a very large country geographically and a lot of challenges in managing logistics. It's just not easy. Relatively small population. Uh, so we're very wide, but we're very skinny. So it's within a belt, more or less along the border. What happened uh, is the business units and the um, supply chain logistics side and specifically transportation use third party carriers. So they use third-party organizations to help literally carry goods. And it's quite a large scale. Um, some of this has been captured in, a, uh, in various case studies that we've done and published, but uh, the most important element here is the industry uh, had a challenge. And the challenge in the industry from the freight uh, transportation side is there are a lot of variables. So if you're in the road haulage business, prices go up and down for fuel. How do you manage that risk? How do you manage a lot of things that can happen? What happens if you have a breakdown on the highway? Who pays for it? And how do you, how do you stay alive um, if you have these problems? And so the industry moved to relatively um, low and highly competitive fixed costs, but a series of variable costs added on top. And as they try and keep track of all this uh, information, they have to now synchronize the information and they have to figure out who owes who what. So uh, what they realized, and this is across the industry, in fact, about $140 billion a day is tied up um, just in the US on transportation invoices, is that they were having great difficulty reconciling these amounts. And so they had these dueling, these battling lists. We charge this much. No, you should have charged this much. 
Here's the discrepancy. How do we, you know, what can we solve in terms of the discrepancy? Oh, let's move over here and on and on and on with everybody fighting back and forth over how much is owing. And it wasn't a question of, um, and I, I haven't seen this at all, by the way, it wasn't a question of a lack of integrity or ethics. It was simply different systems, a different basis of calculating and a great deal of difficulty synchronizing it. So they came to us and they asked us, could we help? And what has been disclosed um, is that the level of disputes uh, was around 70%, seven zero. So seven out of every 10 deliveries had a dispute. And it's a little bit like uh, accounting. If you look at uh, accounting, if it doesn't balance, you don't know how much it's out. <laughs> That's the problem. So it could be out a dollar, but that actually reflects a lack of synchronization and the books simply don't balance as people say. So what we did was um, we integrated with existing legacy systems and it's on a one-to-one -one basis through what are called channels using Hyperledger Fabric. So it's permission-based. We ensured that uh, the information derived from three sources, Walmart, each of the carriers, and from independent objective information, which is IoT, was all pulled together, put on a shared ledger, and there are processes if there are disputes along the way, but it's in one, one ledger, one source of truth, one information, one piece, and then the calculations are made on a predetermined basis. So that's what we did. And we did it um, inclusive of testing. We configured in 60 days and we began uh, in operations in January, 2019 with uh, a very large carrier they have and a terrific company called Bison. And we proved, uh, and apart from all the other, um, Walmart's a, a, a tough company when it comes to IT. So they put us through the our paces in terms of security and everything else. Um, but um, as we graduated, uh, to full production became the national standard, we realized that we basically eliminated those disputes. Because if there's only one number, it's hard to argue about what the number is. Mm -hmm. So we took a huge challenge they had, which was uh, predicated on the inability to share information. We found a way to grab whatever information was available. And by the way, it's people call it real time. It's about as near real time as you can get. We put it on the shared ledger. It has, it's transparent as between the two parties. So you can see what's there, it's no big secret. And then the calculations are automated. And uh, at that point, we've pretty well solved that problem. And it's almost like, um, it's actually hard to believe that the problem was ever there. So I'm told that if we try and ever take the system out, there's gonna be a riot with the carriers and with Walmart. Um, and we believe them, but it, it turned out to be, to our knowledge, the largest deployment uh, of industrial scale blockchain in the world and with extremely significant ROI and very quick payback. Bringing shipment disputes down from seven out of tens and near zero is great for efficiency. So that's awesome if that's what you guys are getting. Is, is that what the next gen supply chain looks like ideally, or is there more to that? Oh, I'll let Alan address that. There's a, a great okay. deal of next-gen supply chain. Yeah, so when, when I think about the um, next-gen supply chain, it's blockchain is part of it, but it's, it's, a, it's a bigger transition. It's from manual to digital. It's, um, it is from 
tactical to strategic. It's um, from a focus on just cost to broader business outcomes. And so a lot of this, you know, I think of these industry 4.0 technologies, which, um, you know, is blockchain and IoT, which Loudon is using both of those in his solution. Um, but it's uh, but it's broader than that. And what I find so interesting is that when I look at what's happening to the supply chain, it's becoming more fragmented. Um, you know, it it had been this, you know, those who own the assets win, and you had these very tightly controlled networks. And if you have a um, a few supply chain partners that you've been doing business with for years and years, the application, uh, you don't really need blockchain. You can use current technologies for that. However, when you're dealing with, um, you know, multiple supply chain members with complex transactions, and these, you know, Loudon didn't get into it, but you know, each of these transactions, you know, they're not simple. There's a lot of elements that go in to each of those transactions. But to have commercial truth, to have a single version of the truth um, is absolutely critical when you can, when that can be automated. Because, you know, I, I think about, think about COVID-19 and what has happened since January. Um it's been extraordinary to see what's happened in the supply chain. Supply chains have had to be reconfigured. Um, the last mile is has gone absolutely crazy. You've got, you know, Walmart, Amazon, Target. You know, they're they're growing 70, 80, 90 percent um, in in their e-commerce. Um, you've got. Um, consumers, the ever demanding consumer, you know, wanting goods faster, same day, next day, and Walmart and Amazon are accommodating them in the US. But in order to do that, they have to contract with multiple suppliers. So whether it's, we're talking about gig workers or contractors, and it basically takes this um, solution that Walmart did with the um, carriers in Canada. What was it like, eighty-five or eighty-six? It was about carriers? seventy carriers. Yeah, seventy, 70. carriers. Seventy carriers. Um, but now think of that same solution applied when you have literally hundreds of carriers um, across the country, whether they're contractors or gig workers. Um, right now, a lot of that's done manually, um, and so. When I think of the next gen supply chain, I'm thinking about um, sustaining innovation. So how do I use technology um, to do what I'm doing today better, quicker, faster, cheaper, um, and then disruptive innovation? Mm -hmm. How am I using this um, technology to create entirely new business processes? And so if you start to think about what Loudon is doing, you can say, okay, well, if I'm capturing all of that information um, and there is a, there's commercial trust now, how can I expand that into new offerings? And 
And so, um, you know, right now the supply chain, when, you know, when you talk about supply chain, you're typically talking about the tactical movement of goods from point A to point B. Um, but when you, when you start integrating this connecting and thinking technology, you can start to think about supply chain as not only a way to get goods from point A to point B, but to actually interact and generate demand um, from consumers to provide financial services. It's a broader view of the supply chain of not just moving goods, but moving goods, information, and funds. Um, and that's really, when you think about the next-gen supply chain, that's what we're talking about. I do. Brandon, just to add something to that, because it's a, I mean, it's a, to us, we're all about the future. I mean, it's tremendously exciting. Right. But what we enable, we can build, or we can enable others to build integrated trade networks, integrated networks, and whichever parties are joined in that network are sharing the same information. And that's not a, not a small deal, that's a big deal. So if you think, and Ellen mentioned in finance, for example, um, you know, if you take a, a very uh, personal example, you wanna get a, a home mortgage, what do you have to get to a bank in order to get a mortgage? You've gotta prove you own the, the house or you're gonna own the house. You have to prove what you paid for it. Someone has to do an assessment of the value. You've gotta file the papers. You've gotta prove you have insurance. Sometimes you need life insurance and on and on and on and on. All those bits of paper, all those little elements add up. And typically, if you're a lender, you're working with what we would call derivative information. It's not actually the same information. It might be a copy, it might be something emailed, you don't know if it's true, you just don't know. So a very, very simple transaction, like borrowing against a hard asset is complicated because how do you share that information? When organizations are part of an integrated trade network, they have the same information at the same time. And you can imagine what that means. So in the context of, let's just take an example of a lending organization for mortgages. Um, if they had all the same information, they didn't have to look up what the person's income was. They had access to it. They didn't have to look up the ownership. They had direct line of sight to the uh, you know, to the statute, whatever statutes are applying to prove ownership uh, to the land registry office, for example, they had direct line of sight to the insurance. It was all filed in the same place. All of a sudden, the cost of processing a mortgage uh, is virtually eliminated. And think about it from the other side, which is how do you actually enhance your offering as a lending institution? Now you want to add a different feature. Um, you want to add a certain type of let's say a five-year guarantee instead of a three-year guarantee of rates. How do you do that? Well, now you can build an algorithm and you can do it in 10 minutes, as opposed to what happens today, which is here's our new project. How are we going to launch it? How are we going to deliver it? How do we make sure it's secure? Which technology are we going to use? Now we have to go and get integrators and on and on and on. So the power of having integrated trade networks, and in particular for uh, financial institutions, is enormous. So I, I think that I, I don't want to be so bold as to talk about the future of supply chains. And that really is an area where Alan is a, a global expert. Um, but what I can tell you is even in the last year, as he points out, um, supply chains have changed. 
And it's ultimately driven by, you've got to serve the needs of the users. So users need lower prices. Users that are already intermediaries, like a financial institution, they need more direct access. They need lower cost. Um, users are demanding, for example, provenance. And so, you know, if you look at the uh, sourcing cobalt, which is something we worked on from the Congo, they want to make sure it's ethically sourced and they want to make sure it's traced all the way through to the electric vehicles. So there's not much point, um, you know, contributing with a social conscience to buying electric vehicles, and yet you're sponsoring um, abusive practices for the creation at the raw material stage. So consumers are demanding this. So I think the big change is it's kind of blending together because marketing and branding is now integrated with supply chains. Finance and supply chains, that intersection that we talk about, it's already happened. It's, it's the same need that consumers have. The only reason it's all chopped up and fragmented is history. It just didn't start this way, but it shouldn't be today. And the, the tools are there to integrate. Yeah, I think that's, that is such an important point. It's, um, there was a gentleman in the 60s named Theodore Levitt that called it marketing myopia, where people narrowly defined what industry they were in. Um, so I'm in the railroad industry, not the transportation industry, right? And when you think of your the business you're in narrowly, you reduce some opportunities. And um, what we're seeing in the digital world is businesses, they become, um, you know, they cross industry boundaries with ease. So if you think about a, a Google or an Amazon, what industry are they in, right? Amazon, they make, yeah, they sell books, but they sell everything else. They make movies. They have provide cloud infrastructure. They're in logistics now. Um, when, when you focus on the, on the customer and, and what they need as opposed to selling what you have, uh, it changes the ball game. And this, and and these technologies allow you to do it. Um, they remove boundaries that have been there in the past. Right. Speak, so speaking of, you know, the importance of provenance, direct access, lower costs. Um, and I think we kind of touched on this already, but how do you see blockchain at that intersection for supply chain and trade finance? But also, what is, what is that? version look like for you? you? Want me to take a shot, Alan? Sure. I'll, I'll take a, a shot, which is, um, I, mean, I know it may not be, it may not make me popular at blockchain conferences, um, but to me, blockchain is a tool. It is a uh, one technology to be used as long as it's useful, pure and simple. And a blockchain on its own does nothing. In fact, you were asking earlier, but our, our our purpose, why we exist really. And um, we're not here to advocate in a religious war about this blockchain versus that blockchain. We're here to use whatever tools are available to generate the most um, useful uh, benefits possible for clients and their end clients. So it's a virtuous cycle. So when I look at blockchain, um, I, I do think there are these almost uh, battling worlds where people are talking about blockchain as a panacea, 
as a solution for everything. Of course it's not. And you can't walk into um, you know, a, a global marketplace and say, okay, one technology will solve things. So, you know, those are my limitations before I tell you all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the other limitations, I think, um, which is very important, is when we started analyzing the industry, and we spent several years doing this in conjunction with building our platform, we realized that the nature of the solutions using blockchain were a little bit too theoretical for us. There seemed to be a thought that, well, if you tokenize everything, then it magically becomes much better, faster, cheaper, easier. Um, let's just tokenize everything. Oh, let's have our own cryptocurrency. And what was happening is blockchain, which should be the great unifier and the great um, you know, joiner, became the great separator. So there were um, not infinite, but very, very many different approaches taken. And everybody was trying to own everything. So we're going to take over supply chain. We're going to have tokens and everyone's going to exchange our tokens, not some other tokens. That, that's not what I think blockchain's purpose is. Um, yes, it can uh, provide a useful backbone to um, different forms of digitization and tokenization, all of which are legitimate, all of which will have a certain importance. But the, the take that we have on it is it really is at that intercompany exchange of I like to call it information, but people call it data. And, and the, the, what happens is you have literally mountains of data. If you look at IoT, for example, um, a lot of tremendous organizations building out all these IoT solutions. Now what? What happens? What happens when you get a ping a second, which we get, by the way, from the IoT devices? What do you do with it? How do you pull it together? How do you make it useful? Blockchain provides... Uh, the backbone, the ability to, at any scale, by the way, a lot of the scalability issues that the types of issues you, you recognized were problems uh, that aren't legitimate for the tool, right? It's using a hammer to try and screw in a screw. Um, but what happens is uh, if you look back and you say, okay, where is blockchain most useful? It's in grabbing this information, putting it in one place and making sure whatever process is needed to be followed is followed. And there's a process of getting there. You have to get people talking to each other. You have to get agreement. You have to ensure that there's a, uh, a willingness to share that information, of course. But once you get there, uh, blockchain actually does provide all sorts of capability you can't get anywhere else in our experience. So when we started, we were looking at, and everybody here comes from, you know, SQL backgrounds, and and we were looking at all the various solutions that have been so important around the world. And we actually asked ourselves a question, and clients ask it quite often: Why can't you just do this with whatever? Um, do it with Oracle. Why can't you just do it with whatever it is? Do it with a conventional relational database. Uh, and we tried, and what we found in terms of speed, consistency, security, and facility in terms of exchanging information from multiple systems and multiple parties, there actually is no other way today that's as practical, as cost efficient, or as reliable. So that's kind of where we see blockchain fitting in. Yeah, you know, uh, Loud, one of the one of the things that, that we always tell companies is when they bring that up is if you can do it with another technology, do it. Right. Yep. Do it. 
you should do it. Um, and, um, you know, with regard to the, the question about Providence, I, I mean, I think that is a really good application. You see, you know, companies from tuna and coffee um, providing a real value there and a value that, um, you know, a certain consumers are willing to pay for. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Um, however, it's limited, right? It's not all provenance because when you're talking about a single ingredient supply chain, like tuna and coffee, okay. When you're talking about a cookie, right? It's a different story, right? When you've got, you know, 15, 20 ingredients going in there and what's, what's the um, value proposition. But, um, you know, the, the other thing that I hear a lot from um, companies and there's, you know, there's some great organizations working on standard setting, but, you know, standard setting is difficult. It just is. Um, and so it's really hard to get um, companies to agree on, on standards. But, you know, if you can get um, standards, so, you know, another blockchain that um, Walmart has is for leafy greens, right? And so and that's really important. So, you know, if there's a, you know, some kind of salmonella outbreak or something, they can track it back. I love that application. But, you know, when you're talking to uh, uh, Kroger or some other store, they have their own blockchain. And, and so if you're on the receiving end of that, it gets really difficult to say, okay, now I've got to set up this blockchain and that blockchain. Wouldn't it be great if those blockchains communicated with each other? Well, you need standards for that. Um, and while I, I, I hope that those standards are agreed on in the, um, in the future, I think the, the way Loudon's going about it with you know, a permission-based blockchain is uh, is the is the right way to go. Um, the other thing I'll say is is that um, you always need to remember that every member of the blockchain needs to have a value proposition. Everyone needs to get something out of it, and if you have a member that is not getting anything out of the um, the blockchain and you think you're going to strong arm them. Well, I guess if you're Walmart, you probably can strong arm them, but most people can't. And, um, and so the, so it's, it's really important as you're planning, you know, the application, what is the, uh, what is the value proposition for every member of that blockchain? Right. Hugely important. And actually, interestingly enough, <clears throat> and I was going to ask you about sort of where you feel we are in this sort of blockchain adoption cycle. And it's hugely important because a network needs people in the network. And it was pretty clear. And that's very, very interesting. Um, so uh, we found that, um, in fact, the Walmart Canada approach was fantastic for us. It was a dream because they didn't try and force the carriers. Um, we showed the carriers and the carriers became our advocates. And I think that's in a sense, one future of blockchain, which is when people see the benefit, they experience it, um, save money, make money, operate better. Um, a very tangible example is a couple of the folks at Walmart uh, were saying they now got their Friday afternoons back. 
So instead of arguing about invoices on Friday afternoons, they can actually do constructive things and have nice conversations with the carriers. So, and Ladden, think about all of the people that were handling all of the dispute resolutions. That's not fun, right? That's a horrible job, right? You've just made their lives demonstrably better. It's a terrible so, job. No one wants to deal with that. Nobody no. wants. So, Alan, just just you know, from your perspective, sorry to jump in, Brandon, but I'm really interested. Just from what you, you're seeing in the industry, I and mean, you're a real expert, where do you think we are in the cycle of um, openness to blockchain or adoption in industry? So I think we're, I would say, I think we're ex- exiting the trough of disillusionment, right? I think the the hype has burned off um, there. And, and now it's, it's, it's what companies are asking us, like, what is the ROI? Where, I, I just don't want to do a pilot. Where can I apply or where can I use this technology? What sorts of problems um, can I solve with it? And, um, and that's the, those are, you know, you're starting to get to the right questions because when you start to focus on the pain as opposed to the technology, you're going to get to a better answer. And the, and the right answer might not be blockchain. Um, but when you're focused on the, on the problem, but understand the tools available to you, um, you're going to, you're going to find that, that fit it. And, um, and I think companies are getting savvy, right? They've, they've now done some experiments, they've stumbled, they've kind of understand where it doesn't make sense. And, and they're, they're beginning to have um, a more realistic expectation of, of how the technology can be applied. And, um, and one of the real important learnings, and I've heard this from a lot of, um, a lot of leaders is they, they really um, emphasize that you can never talk about a technology in isolation because that is, your, that is not what unlocks the value. What unlocks the value is when you're combining blockchain with uh, IoT as Loudon has done, and then you're, you're taking that information, that, that single source of the truth, and you're feeding that into an AI engine that's, you know, that may have some machine learning algorithms that helps everyone in that blockchain that has access to that um, information get better. You know, that's how you really create a virtuous circle. And, um, and that's, you know, again, that's the next gen supply chain. And that's why I say that, um, the supply chain profession, because of these technologies, is moving from tactical to strategic. Yeah, it's astonishing to me, Alan. It's funny when you look at large organizations, how few CEOs come from a supply chain logistics background. And yet, without that expertise and understanding and commitment to task, how do you function? You can't function. And so I think, you know, we go through cycles. You get leadership from finance or from marketing and sales and different areas. Uh, I do think, and I'm, I'm seeing some of the, the really impressive organizations, uh, people have to have depth of understanding in the, the details and the mechanics of supply chain and logistics. And that's only going to grow. So 
I'm sure the, the schools and the organizations such as yours are gonna be flooded with new people coming in either at the corporate level or otherwise, because it's just a vital area. Yeah, you know, it, it, it actually um, blew me away when I, when I joined the University of Tennessee. They graduate 400 supply chain undergrads every year, 400. Um, and they, they make good money too. Um, it, it, I, it was uh, incredible I, and, um, and allowed me to do things like, like the research that we, that we did with you around blockchain. Because I think, you know, when we, when we think of the next generation supply chain, there's a lot of education, a lot of learning that's going to go on because kind of the core competencies that as a supply chain leader that got you where you are are going to get you where you need to go. Yeah, I think education is a huge part of it, which is part of, part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast, you know, get information like this out there so people can you know make better decisive decisions on like what they want to do for their future if they're in college, you know. Um, you know, they want to get into supply chain if they're already in the industry, how they can pivot and use blockchain as a tool. Um, so yeah, education is huge. We're, we're getting kind of towards the end of the podcast, but I want to end it with one more question. Um, so like in your guys' opinion, where do you think we are in this cycle of maturity and adoption for blockchain? And that can be in supply chain. It could be in a different use case for it. Um, or with what you guys are working on, but how do you guys see that really shaping up as we move into 2021? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Alan addressed that in some ways, but I, I'm gonna address it differently, which is, um, well, first of all, because I never answer the question, of course, I always go off mm. my own, Brandon, but first <laughs> of all, um, we are um, incredible um, advocates for education. And I think that is um, part of the process of adopting any new technology, but we do, as explained, work with AI and with IoT and with machine learning and so on. It's all one, uh, it's integrated solutions. And last year, um, we trained 3000 people in blockchain, just to, by way of example, as our commitment to education at top, top um, Indian colleges and other colleges. Um, and so what we're thinking is we're at that point where we need to start generating uh, a support universe and an informed universe of individuals and organizations that understand enough to at least consider using these technologies and using these solutions. So um, where is it all sort of headed to? Um, the pandemic, which has obviously changed thinking, um, has uh, really uh, turbocharged people's understanding of different industries but in particular supply chain logistics and trade. And so if you look at the importance of integrated trade, trade integrating finance and supply chain, uh, it, it has never been higher. We also have a need for agility um, given geopolitical uh, affiliations that keep changing and people need to get what they need to get. And you gotta get it from this country or that country. And you don't play around if you're dealing with a pandemic, you need to survive. And we were helping out on the PPE side here in Canada um, and in the US and figuring out where to source and how to do it quickly uh, and with confidence. So I think that what it boils down to is, you know, there's a, a classic um, importance to any new technology, but it's all underpinned by, uh, and I don't wanna, you know, 
underemphasize this, return on investment. You have to get a return because you're looking at competing priorities. It's never, oh, um, now it's time to use blockchain. Now it's time to use artificial intelligence. It's in a universe of competing uh, requirements and priorities. And where I think it's headed to is I believe this is gonna become um, I, a higher, higher on the list of considerations. And I think if people, you know, the one thing that uh, would make me very happy would be if I could tell you the ROI um, for what we did at Walmart Canada, because if we could, uh, we'd have every Fortune 500 company lined up outside the door every morning. And we've got a lot of them already, but we'd have them all. Um, so um, I think as the as it becomes more apparent and more um, accepted, and there are more um, third parties, you know, all the great consulting organizations and, and groups that spend their life um, assessing and presenting the value, um, I think it's going to become at least high on the list of a consideration. Yeah. You know, I guess the one one thing that, that I'll add in my research that I've been doing over the last couple of years for, for a, a book I have coming out next year, I came across this concept that was very consistent. I call it the disruptor trifecta. And that is for organizations to be successful, they need to have three things in their, in their executive team. Um, they need to have um, good judgment. Uh, they need to have the experience in their industry. They need to know their industry. And they have to be technically savvy. <laughs> and, um, and what I mean by technically savvy is you don't need to be able to you know, code in Python, um, but you need to know how these new technologies we've been talking about today change what's possible. Because if you don't, then you're making decisions you know, off of incomplete set of, of information. And what I found was in the companies that are really succeeding, they have executives that have all three of those things. Many incumbent companies, however, their, their executives are always really smart. They always know their industry, but they're missing this one other thing. I've also worked a lot when I was working with UPS Ventures with a lot of startups. And they're all technically savvy. They all um, are very smart, um, but they typically don't know the industry that well. They fail too. Um, and so as, as companies are thinking about, you know, how they move forward, they've got to shore up and have all three of these elements to unlock these things that Loudon has been um, talking about and to truly embrace it. So Brandon, one, one of the benefits of the, of the podcast, and, and thank you, by the way, is you've got Alan, who's an expert, not only in supply chain logistics, but in innovation and more broadly um, than even in the one domain. And I, I've always found it fascinating to listen to his insights and observations. Um, and I think that's you know key for understanding blockchain, which is part of the today, the innovation cycle. And it's at, a, at an important inflection point, uh, but it's part of the overall, it's under that umbrella of innovation. And yeah. my German shepherd, Charlie, agrees. <laughs> way with wild, reckless agreement. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome getting this combination of from this technological and business point of view, because I usually only get one side of it 
with someone that comes on the podcast. So it's awesome to get both at the same time um, and really be able to dig down into what you guys are doing. So yeah, Alan, Loudon, thank you guys for coming on and sharing your opinion, um, what you guys are doing with DLT Labs, um, talking about blockchain and supply chain, so much information. I think we went for an hour. So yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you guys for taking the time and especially the day after the election. I know it's kind of crazy out there. So yeah. <laughs> but did something happen yesterday? <laughs> it's still happening. <laughs> Alan, thank you very much for, uh, I always find it educational uh, listening to you. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And Brandon, thank you. Of course, of course. Thanks, Thanks for doing this, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Loudon. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hope to have you guys on again in the future. Um, we'll definitely stay in touch and contact. Um, so thank you guys and have an awesome day and awesome week. Thank you. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Yes.